Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Welcome to Mic Drop. This is Team Dog 001. It's uh, my first and inaugural dog training podcast for all of you out there that obviously know me from dogs and dog training. Um, we're going to be doing regular dog training episodes where we take questions, uh, have other, you know, relevant dog training guests, whether it's handlers or canine training professionals, things of that nature. Uh, We're going to review products, food, toys, treats, uh, training equipment, crates, you name it. Um, It's just all things dog related. It is going to be somewhat mainstream, but we're also going to delve into some of the working aspects because that's what I'm uh, known for in in the community I come from. Um, but what I want to do is, is you know, really kind of get to the root of of everybody's questions that we routinely get in uh, as it relates to dog training, and and I want to kind of preface it with, you know, the 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 system or process that I use that I I, I use the word develop. Now that does not mean that that I'm saying I, I invented all of these techniques. No, uh, you know, the the way that I go about training a dog, uh, whether it's you know your basic average house pet or uh, you know, a, a high level special operations dog or, you know, explosive detector dog for a federal law enforcement group or something of that nature. The process that I use is frankly the exact same, um, you know, getting from A to B, regardless of what A and B are, uh, generally speaking, uh, is a very, very similar process. And, and in many cases, it's the same process. So this process that I, you know, kind of have developed, there's, there's two things that I want to bring up about it. Number one, is that uh, it's it's outlined in the in the team dog book, and that uh, you know that is manifested into the online training at uh, teamdog.pet where you can sign up for the monthly training lessons. I mean that's video representations of everything that I talk about in the book. But on a broader scale, you know where these concepts come from, and one of the questions that we got in on social media that I'm going to address comes from the Warrior Dog Foundation, a foundation that I started back in 2010 that uh, retires special operations working dogs, military working dogs, uh, federal lo- uh, level law enforcement, um, regular police dogs, contract working dogs, customs border patrol, uh, even some quote unquote other government agencies dogs that we can't mention 
that we've retired, um, basically acting as a sanctuary and, and a, a last place for these dogs to go live out their lives with dignity and grace, be rehabilitated and repurposed if possible. Uh, you know, but but most importantly is to is to kind of unwind them as a working dog rehabilitate them and then ultimately get them out into people's uh, houses or in, into a kind of a civilian um, you know type of application now the the reason i bring that up is that most of the concepts in in the book and the online training and what i'm going to talk about today in, in terms of how to address these problems is stems from my interaction with all of these working dogs over the years dozens and dozens of them and, you know, the reason that we get all of these dogs is not because they're easy to deal with. It's because they are a real pain in the ass to deal with. Uh, they're hard-headed. A lot of them have been injured. A lot of them have been, uh, you know, washed out of their programs because of, of their handler aggression or, or you, know, um, you know, lack of biddability in terms of being able to train uh, and work with them in the capacities that they're trying to work with them. And, and you know, for a department or a unit to you know, wash the dog out after all the money they've spent and the time that they've put into it tells you a lot about, you know, them not just saying, oh, screw it, let's get rid of the dog. There, there's a lot that goes into that. And so for them to make that decision, uh, a lot of things generally have to be wrong with that dog uh, for them to get to that level to say, you know, it's just not worth it. It's too big of a liability. Let's wash it out and send it to the Warrior Dog Foundation. So because of that, when we get the dogs in, uh, you know, these are, again, dogs that are not easy to deal with. And so, you know, it, it's our job collectively to to manage these dogs first and foremost to keep them uh, healthy and safe. That's number one. And the number two is to start to rehabilitate them. And, and so a lot of the principles and, and, frankly, most of the principles that I've inadvertently learned out of necessity from having to deal with these dogs that you know, these are dogs that you grab their collar the wrong way or too hard or what they deem as too hard. They'll turn around and bite you. Uh, eye contact for what they consider too long, they'll bite you. Um, you know, walking with them and, and you bump into them while they're walking or you step on one of their feet or something like that. They turn around and, and split your, your hamstring open or, or whatever. You know, these are, are extreme cases of dogs that, that do not like to be messed with. Uh, and, and take that very, very seriously, uh, and they're very serious dogs. And so because of that, you know, we, we go through this process and, and kind of slow roll it and baby step it and, and set up the environment for success to let their mind unwind, et cetera, and, uh, and have, have gained and gleamed a number of, of uh, you know, training protocols and, and best practices, if you will, in how to, you know, very systematically approach taking a dog that has a lot of behavioral issues and, 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 and fixing them and getting them to the point where you can, you can actually deal with the dog and, and, and then ultimately either rehome them or if they're young enough and have enough, uh, you know, working life left in them, repurpose them and send them to a, another department that they're a little more conducive to be used at. So keep all of that in mind is that that's where this comes from. And, and a number of these lessons have been learned the hard way. But I want to stress, uh, you know, one real important thing as you listen to, to every piece of advice that I give people is that, that it comes A, from that, and B, is that it, it's very systematic. It's a, it's a process or a procedure just like any type of security protocol or, you know, safety protocol at, at work or, or whatever it is, is, is that it's well thought out. 
it's there for a reason and and there's a process to it and 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 that process works so uh, you know keep that in mind and uh and and realize that while you know there's times where i guarantee you I'm going to sound like a broken record uh, in some cases. Well, you know, the, the fact is, is that most of the problems that we get the questions on are all really dealt with and, and fixed the same damn way. So uh, keep that in mind. And uh, the format in which I'm going to do this, I'm just going to go down the line of, of different questions that I got, uh, you know, via Instagram and Facebook um, through uh, through us asking, uh, you know, the questions and and, uh, and address them, uh, you know, appropriately. Now, there are a lot that are kind of repeats or similar enough to where, uh, you know, it, one answer is going to address five or six problems. But uh, keep that in mind. And without further ado, we're going to get right into it. So uh, BBK123 asks, how to correct dog who gets excited on leash when seeing other dogs on walks? I probably had, you know, a couple of dozen of comments asking about leash reactivity or aggression towards other other animals or super excited or whatever nervous energy, the inability to cap that drive and 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 maintain or regulate the impulse control that you're trying to get out of your dog when the dog is super excited about anything. It could be running out the front door, it can be excited, you know, on leash, you know, reactive towards other dogs, it can be soccer balls. You know, read between the lines a little bit and realize that 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 issue is all the same thing is that when a dog sees something that it either wants to engage with or kind of just gets crazy, stupid, excited about um, is that, you know, how you're going to get yourself through that is basically handled all the same way. Now, where it starts is is, you know, with the process that I outline in both the book and with uh, with the online training is that the first thing that has to take place with with all of these is that this this uh, this needs to be an assumption that I'm going to say every answer I give from from here on out is that this next concept uh, applies to to the first part of every other answer. So that first uh, concept is that, that that you have a good working relationship with your dog. It trusts you. You trust the dog uh, from a safety and, and and health standpoint, and that um, you know there's there's a level of respect. You know, it's a combination of both you know trust and bond and relationship, but also with respect. And that's where I see a lot of people uh, have problems. Frankly, is that. You know, you you have a a dog who you know d- blows you off. You know, doesn't listen to you, and and does not do what what uh, you tell him to in those types of moments where where it matters, frankly. And so, uh, the first thing you have to do is is spend the time with the dog so that it doesn't just look at you like uh, you know to quote the the great Roman Craig from the Great Outdoors like a, a rack of yard tools at Sears. Is that uh, you know if you have that where your dog just looks at you like you're just anybody that's walking around, you've got some work to do before you even start to address any of these other problems. You know that that has to be step one. That is the foundation in which everything else is built. You know, so if if you don't have that and you're not there yet with your dog, you are absolutely putting the cart before the horse. If you're trying to you know maintain. Uh, eye contact during focused attention healing or working on recalls under heavy distraction or, uh, you know, trying to get your dog to stop being a prick to other dogs when they're when you're out in town is that if, if your dog doesn't view you as anybody different, none of that is going to work. You know, you have to have that first, just like in, in with a business partnership, with a spousal relationship, a coach with his athletes, a teacher with their students. It's all the same thing and that you have to have that. Uh, and without that, it's 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 pointless. So, both in the book and, and primarily in the, with the online training, you know, the first month 
it's all you know bonding exercises it's you know do this this and this to get your dog where you know where you want to be in terms of of uh of that relationship to where the, the dog values the time with you you know there's engagement there's affection there's there's quality time and, and one of the most poignant ways that i can get that across is that you may sit around at work or all day and, and think about your dog I got bad news for you is your dog is not sitting around thinking about you. You know, the time you spend with a dog, that is their currency for this process is that you've got to spend time. It can be something as simple as, you know, having the dog in a crate in the same room that you're eating dinner or on the couch watching TV or in your garage working or, or whatever is that, you know, in, until you have that, and I, I do recommend crates for, for that part of the process. Because if the dog, you know, has no manners on a leash and no no uh, personal boundary respect or anything like that, and they want to grab everything and chew it up, you can't put them in that position because you're not in a position from the relationship standpoint where anything you do with a dog is really going to mean much other than really punishing the crap out of them, uh, which I don't recommend for starting the relationship out or, or teaching obedience and, and boundaries within the house. So use that crate to your advantage in that it's a neutral space where you can you can um you know maintain the the environmental integrity and and manipulate it basically so that the dog can't get himself in trouble uh, once you have that then um you know where where there's there's a trust there's a relationship and and he, and he seems like your dog now you can start to work on you know shaping the the behavior and so um, with this, this particular issue with, you know, leash reactivity or, or when the dog is really focused heavy on something else, you know, I do it a little bit different than, than we'll say some people or even a lot of people do is that I, you know, I see a lot of other trainers and this isn't a knock on anybody. This is just my, my opinion of, of how I see it. But is, is that, you know, if, if it's, you know, leash reactivity with other dogs, it's let's put them in that position and work on that, that issue. To me, that's not the issue. The issue is not other dogs. It's the issue is that, is that you don't have the ability to get your dog's focus on you whenever you want it. And that, that really is, is kind of the mainstay of, uh, of, of where you're going to fix these problems is that, you know, whether it's leash reactivity or anything for that matter, is that you're working on that engagement component where your dog is engaged with you. And the way I do it is basically in the, in the month two or kind of intermediate phase you know, of, the, of this training process is that you're working on on engagement through reinforcement um, and so there's a lot of different ways to do that but the way i like to do it is starting off with just a pouch full of food and again this is something that i, I draw from the warrior dogs is that um you know i'll walk out in the training field which is two and a half acres and i'll have a pouch full of the frozen thought out bill jack that i use um, and a clicker and and i walk around and just ignore the dog and when that dog comes up to me uh, or comes towards me, I'll mark it, you know, use the click, give him the piece of food, and then I'll, I'll purposefully ignore him. I'll turn around and walk away from him, uh, you know, essentially like a reverse psychology thing. I'm not going to go to him. I'm going to let him come to me. And when he chooses, and that's what it is, it's a, it's a conscious decision on the dog's part to choose to come see you, then that's when uh, I'm going to mark and reward that. And, and, uh, and that reinforcement is, is just going to make that behavior stronger. You know, one of the, the textbook most poignant statements from B.F. Skinner, um, who, who, you know, is the godfather of operant conditioning in which this is, is based off of, is, you know, any uh, behavior that's reinforced is likely to occur again. So every time that you mark and reward or reinforce a desired behavior, it's logged in that dog's memory bank as a positive experience. The more you do that, the more likely those things are going to happen. And you're going to see a recurring theme with every question that falls back to that is what do you want the dog to do? 
you know, manipulate the environment to get him to make that decision to do it. And then you're going to pay him uh, and, and reinforce it and get it to happen over and over again. But um, so that's how I, I kind of approach that, you know, you know, it st- stage two of the bonding and, and now shaping focus. And then from there, it's baby steps. It's, it's why I, and then people in the in the online training forums hear me talk about baby steps. You can call it scaling you can call it whatever you want. But that's what it is. It's taking very, very calculated, strategic, and incremental steps towards your goal uh, and being very methodical about it so that it's not too far forward for the dog, but it's not uh, so incremental to where he's not making any progress and you're not pushing the envelope. Uh, So from there, it's eye contact. And that's probably one of the most important things is I'm going to reward the shit out of eye contact is that, you know, when that dog makes any type of eye contact with me, I'm marking and rewarding it. Um, and then from there, it's uh, and then we'll we'll start to shape into you know getting uh, at my left side, sitting down with his shoulder into my knee, you know, getting ready for the heel. But the the eye contact component is always there, and so you're building on that. And so, you know, th- this question is very simple, and that's you know my dog's least reactive towards other dogs. How do I fix that? You know, most people want just a quick thirty second. Oh, just do this, this, and this, and it's fixed. None of it is that simple. It, it all stems off of relationship first, you know, bond and engage second and, and start to shape what you want and reinforce it third. And, and it doesn't matter what it is, is that every problem is going to be tackled basically that same way. So in this case, um, that's how I would approach that is get your, your relationship with the dog right first where they want to hang out with you. They want to engage. When you walk outside, that dog should be bouncing and staring you right in the face before you ever even put the leash on him, before you ever get in the car, before you ever go to the park is that that dog is like, what are we doing? I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm looking at you. There's eye contact there because you've, you've built that. Uh, and I talk about, you know, building the classroom, which we'll get into here later with some other questions. But but that is the gist of it is that, you know, you need to focus on that at home um, before you're going out and, and interacting with other dogs is get that dog in your training classroom at, at home, you know, whatever area you have set up where you're conducting this training um, and, and get into that from the get go um, and, and, and reinforce those behaviors right out of the gate. So. Um, you know, that's, that's the gist of it is that, you know, you're, you're hinging everything on the ability to get your dog to focus on you. And then you're slowly stair stepping, uh, or scaling your criteria for, you know, those heavier distractions, but you've got to be able to do it at home first, you know, try it with, you know, in your backyard or whatever, again, wherever you have set up and then start to add distractions where you got your kids running around on the outside or, uh, another family member or a friend that comes over and is on the outside or, or is nearby and distracting the dog, not to the same level that another dog barking or lunging at it would be, uh, but something that where the dog is going to have, have some attention paid to it and, uh, or it, it may pay attention to some other stimuli and, and, uh, and then you're, you're working through those and baby stepping through those distractions. If you try to teach it at home and go straight out into, into the real world where, uh, you know, you're going from kindergarten to 12th grade, uh, it's too big of a jump and, and you're going to have problems. So, you know, it's a long answer, but again, the, the, the big ticket with that is that, you know, that process has to be there and, and there's not a, a super simple or, or easy answer. It's actually really simple, uh, that, that, you know, that you're going to be able to get to that point with, uh, with that dog. So keep, uh, keep that in mind as you hear all of these answers. Uh, the next one, is from P8542, um, and it says, can you go over posturing and attitude around dogs to help establish and reinforce the alpha slash leadership role that handlers and family members need to display and be successful? 
Uh, it's a great question. And one of the things that, uh, you know, seeing the term alpha, I see that thrown around a lot. And, and I think it gets a little bit overused and maybe it's a little bit misguided in how it's used. But, you know, to me, it's the, the posturing and attitude component is enormous. Um, you know, and one of the things that I like to tell people is, is think of, of a, a boardroom uh, or any really any professional circumstance, situation, scenario you find yourself in where you're conducting yourself as a subject matter expert or a leader of a team of people, as a supervisor, a manager, what have you. Think about how you're interacting with those people. You know, th- there's a certain level of, of you know, an exudation of, of leadership and, and stoicism and, and emotional stability that, you know, by having all of those things, you are going to instill confidence in your team or whatever group of people that you're, you're, you're leading or in charge of managing that has to be there. And if it's not, they're not going to respect you, you know. And so with a dog, it's no different. Most people anthropomorphize and they think, well, my dog knows I'm its owner and so it should just listen to me. It, it, it doesn't work that way if you're not exuding leadership qualities that I'm talking about. And, you know, if you think about how you interact with your dog at home, and if you were to interact that same way with the team of people that you're leading, would they respect you? M- way more times than not, the answer is no, that, you know, they'd, they'd laugh me out of the office. If that's the case, and it generally is, is that that's, that's why your dog's not listening to you. You know, that's, that is why your dog looks at you like you're an ass clown because you're acting like one. Um, you know, and if, and if you're not instilling those, those qualities and, and, uh, th- those abilities of being a good leader and, and making that dog understand that non-verbally, you know, through through body language, then you're going to have huge problems, and, and uh, a lot of these behavioral issues stem from that. So, in terms of of the posturing, there's two videos that I have um, called "Be the Man," um, and it's there's there's "Be the Man" part one and "Be the Man" part two which showcases this exactly. Now, I can sit here and talk about it, which I will, you know, um, for hours. You really just kind of have to watch the videos. If you go on the, the online training and check it out, it's, like I said, there's, there's two separate examples of it, but they're essentially doing the same thing. They're just in different magnitudes. One dog is younger and bigger and stronger and, and more vibrant in terms of what I have to do to, to get him to understand who's running the show. But the, the key components are it's not about being violent. It's not about being overly dominant and putting your hands all over them. If you watch the videos, I, I, don't, I don't really even touch the dog. Um, it's how I'm carrying myself. Uh, there's a bunch of pictures in the book, too, that, that show me kind of almost bowing up to the dog a little bit. Uh, but again, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not punishing them. I'm not correcting them. I don't have a, a prong or, or a remote collar on them. It, it's just me using my body language to say, hey, knock it off. And it's with a, with a toy in my hand that they both really want. They're both really driven working animals that uh, that, that want that. And, and by taking those those concepts and those principles and, and, and watching them and then implementing them, whether it's the dog trying to, uh, you know, jump up on the couch or, uh, you know, take a, a sandwich out of your hand, you know, or, or get up on the table while you're eating, things like that, get into the trash, you name it, is that, you know, all of those things boil down to you've, you've got to kind of, you know, be the man and, and stand up and, and, and make them understand who you are. Uh, I don't really say much. Um, it's all nonverbal body language, you know, but it's, it's akin to, you know, if you were, you know, kind of sizing somebody up in a, in a public scenario, a bar or, or a restaurant or whatever, and, and you all kind of know that, that posturing look that you see people do. I mean, that's really the, the essence of it. Um, the, the one thing that I will, I will add before I wrap this question up is, is that it can't be manufactured. 
I see a lot of people, they watch the videos or they hear me talk about it and they go out and they just go through the motions. The emotion and the intent uh, in you internally has to be real. Uh, it can't be just some lame acting job. Um, you know, it, it, it has to, there has to be a place of, of authenticity to it. And so without that, you know, your dog is going to, going to see through that because they're masters at it. You know, they are masters at body language and you've got to perfect that. But uh, I encourage you to check out the videos that it's really the easiest way to, to see that. Um, this next question is from Tactapup, um, and his question is, Mike, what is a way to teach a dog to quote unquote, be alert? Like if you're about to walk out of a door and want your dog to be in a state of high alert, my Dutch knows, watch him if the person's right in front of us and he gets fired up. But when leaving my shop in a so-so area, there are a couple of blind spots where someone could set up on me. Um, what would be that revering, which is kind of a, uh, a search for people command in Dutch uh, and German type of command. So there's a couple of things to, to keep in mind, and this this uh, transcends just this specific application. Is that you know the the protection quality or um, you know being alert that watch quality. There, there's a certain genetic component of that that has to be there, you know, and and I can't tell by you know just getting the question whether or not your dog has that. Um, but there is an element just like with, you know, first responders, military police, et cetera, um, you know, or good personal protection dogs is that there's some genetic traits that if they're not present, in my opinion, there isn't amount of an amount of training that is going to put that into the dog to where they're going to be applicable. So that, that could be the first issue in terms of how you're going to go about it. It's just like every other component of training is that if you want them to, you know, to be suspicious of people when you're not there, leave and then have somebody fire them up uh, and then, you know, reinforce that. So, um, you know, whatever, whatever your reward mechanism is, if, especially if it's a bite dog, then, you know, you're going to give them that reward. So you, you walk out the door, uh, you have somebody come knock, pound on the glass, you know, do a bunch of kind of squirrely stuff. As soon as the dog barks once or twice, that guy takes off running. That in and of itself is going to reinforce that behavior where the dog perked up, barked a couple of times. And, and what that did is it turned off that little bit of stress or that uneasiness that made him bark, um, you know, and, and, and he will learn that. You do that a handful of times and now people coming around, uh, you know, whether it's inside your house or even doing it, doing it outside, uh, you know, if it's in an area where a backyard or a, or a garage or anything like that is you can have strangers, you know, just have people, you know, say, Hey, can, can you come mess with my dog? Tap on stuff, do some, some flighty, weird prey movement type of behaviors. And when the dog barks a couple of times, you take off running and disappear, give it a few minutes, come back, do the same thing, uh, you know, and do several sessions like that. And, and it doesn't take much to, to get a dog quote unquote turned on to start barking at things like that. Um, you know, once, once they understand that game and that happens pretty quick. One caveat in this, uh, this one's important is that that's a light switch that's almost impossible to turn off. So keep that in mind, make damn sure that that's what you want before you teach it. Because once you teach it, uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to get rid of, uh, not impossible, but, um, just make sure that you want to do it. This next one is from Shill2AM. How do you teach high prey dog self-control? Example is my dog thinks any object soccer ball that's rolling on the ground is, is hers. Now, this is very similar to the first question. Uh, I will make one distinction, which is why I'm bringing this one up, which is very simply when, when it's something out in, in town and it's, it's a prey object where the dog is fired up, the principle of still get them to teach or, or uh, focus rather teach them to focus on you no matter what's going on is still present. 
but here here uh, you know this sounds like it it may not be but um you know this is the the stage two is then that's when i would implement corrections uh, however the the big thing to remember here is that you have to go through that process first of you know the bonding and engaging and shaping focus i have some dogs where where you know everything kind of lines up just right and and that's enough to even a really high prey driven dog i've got enough control over them to where if we're walking around and, and a dog uh, or another dog walks by or somebody kicks a soccer ball or there's kids playing basketball or, or catch with a baseball uh, that that dog, you can tell they're, you know, they've got some impulsiveness to want to go chase it, but they're looking at me and I'm rewarding it and it's good. There's other dogs that they're, you know, the combination of their drive and, and the circumstance and, and their history and things of that nature are such to where even doing that for months, you know, the the desire to self-reward, uh, whatever that activity is, still trumps what any, anything I can offer them from an engagement standpoint. And then I would go to corrections. Um, the sixth lesson of the first course of the online training addresses that there's a reason why it's the sixth lesson though and not in the first five is that the first five months of training you're not given corrections you're doing all positive reinforcement bonding engaging shaping etc uh and and that is important which uh, we'll talk about corrections here uh, one of the later questions but um so you know use that same mentality that i used for the first question but um you know should you find have you if you've already done that and you find yourself still doing that then i would i would implement some uh, some light corrections to get the point across but uh, we'll get into that here in a minute this next one is from al3x and andra rose uh, my dog is sweet and listens well but when she gets excited she pees i usually have guests greet her outside so she doesn't pee in the house sometimes if guests come over um, and ignore her she won't pee but not always it also happens when I come home, no matter how long I've been gone, an hour or six. Do you have any tips on how to get her to stop? She's five, and everyone always told me she would grow out of it. That doesn't seem to be the case, though. This is a great question uh, and one that uh, you know I'm, I'm looking forward to addressing because I see this this issue a lot of times whether it's you know greeting other dogs or you know getting amped up around kids or strangers. There's a couple other questions that, that kind of dovetail onto this, but the, the principle is the exact same, which is, you know, there, there's a, a level of excitement that's so overblown in this dog when interacting with people is that it's urinating uh, on itself. Now, when you say it, it happens, um, you know, when people ignore her sometimes, but sometimes not, that is the key. Ignore her. Stop having people interact or meet the dog. She needs a lot of exposure where nobody is paying any attention to her. You know, her, her whether it's a desire or, or an anxiousness or a nervousness is essentially irrelevant. The fact is, is that one of those three things and an, and an overblown sensation at that of those is what's causing this to happen. Uh, and it's because people are focusing on her too much and she's getting that that sensory overload from people. And so the fact that it doesn't happen sometimes when people ignore her is that you need to really focus on that ignore component. So take her outside and have a bunch of people, you know, walking around, uh, expose her to people that are ignoring her. Uh, and, and the more that that happens where she's not paying, where she's not having that sensory overload, uh, you know, the, the more that's going to condition itself, uh, in, into her behavior pattern. So, um, 
you know, the, the key and where I see a lot of people make mistakes, not just in this, but in a lot of problems is that they want to remove it. You know, it's like, well, okay, let's take her outside or well, let's stop having her meet people because it's making her nervous. It's just like coddling a child. Like, don't stop doing it. Uh, no different than, you know, people who, um, you know, are, are deathly afraid of needles. You know, um, Jordan Peterson uh, is, a, is a very, very good example of, of kind of giving human parallels to the same types of stuff that we're talking about here people that are deathly afraid of needles it's not you're not going to get shots it's that we're going to slowly increment and incrementally expose them to them where first it's just you're sitting in an office where there's needles laying around and then it's you're you're picking one up and and looking at it and then you know for for three seconds and then five seconds and then 10 seconds etc you can see where i'm going with this it's the same same principle with dogs you know anything that they have they're either super averse to or uh, or have you know over you know sensory overblown uh, reactions to is that that's how you want to address it. It's not you want to remove it. You want to throttle it back until it's it's you know the the simplest and and uh, least anxiety driving example of what we're talking about, which is outside or a neutral environment where people are walking up. Maybe they're fifty feet away. And not even talking to you, but they're just looking at you and walking around and then they're 30 feet and then 10 feet and then, and then they're standing there talking to you, but they're completely ignoring the dog and you're ignoring the dog. You know, um, I see dogs a lot of times like that, that have these issues where, um, you know, they get just crazy excited about things and, uh, and, you know, they, they're either jumping up or they're barking or they're super reactive or, or they piss themselves or whatever. And, and that, that's how you need to approach that is, is where it's that sensory overload thing. You, you've got to. Uh, ignore that and 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 ultimately reinforce it now you know the reinforcement component where that comes in is it's the absence of what's making her do that you know so you know the the cause is or the the stimulus that that is creating that is people interacting with her whether it's you you know if you come home and you're like hi baby and you know and you're getting all excited like that and she pees herself that that's why you know i don't know if that's what you do or not i suspect that that there's some level of excitement and interaction when you come home and she's doing that walk in and and act like she doesn't even exist act like the 19 year old um you know guy at the bar I'm sorry, the 35-year-old, the 19-year-old is probably how you're acting. Act like the 35-year-old that's over it, uh, you know, that, that doesn't care that you're standing at the bar uh, or not, and, uh, and ignore, ignore the dog and see what happens um, and, and build on that, you know. So think about the, the instances where she's not doing it uh, and try to recreate that as, as, um, as close as possible. And I would suspect, having seen this in a, in a number of dogs, is that uh, is that, that you know people who are meeting her are doing the high pitched hands down in the face smiling getting down on their knees or bending over and interacting with the dog you know there's probably a good chance that you're doing similar stuff or talking to her you know whatever at at first um, and and that's what's causing that so eliminate that uh, throttle it all the way back as as far as you can in terms of introducing it as uh, as as low level as possible and then slowly stair step your way up to to where you get get past that so. Uh, that's uh that's my that's all i have to say about that forrest gump style so all right um next question is uh from wants his truck back uh, i don't know if you're divorced but uh, i like your handle my man um so anyway uh two-year-old pitbull two kids under nine he lets us play and touch any toy he has but when he's given a deer antler he will growl at the kids and wife if they try to take it so I guess you're not divorced. Maybe you were and uh, you still have your truck or you don't have your truck. Doesn't do it uh, to me, but I have established the alpha role early. How can I drill in him to be passive to the other family members with the antler? 
Should I drill a command to leave the object? Uh, love your videos, love the podcast, love the forge hats. Mikey's my cousin-in-law. Will you tell Mr. Sowers I said hello and send some damn hats? Um, anyway, uh, so a couple things. A couple things to remember with this is, is number one is that that resource guarding behavior uh, to a certain extent is, is a combination of lack of respect uh, and also, you know, a contextual association where he's been successful in growling at people and them generally probably backing off or you telling them to get away or whatever. Uh, so there's a couple of things. Number one is I like to remove the context or the contextual association rather with the antler and that. And so uh, when you're giving him that antler, I, I would suspect it's probably in the same place or the same environment. It's in in a room or it's just inside your house or just in the backyard, or maybe it's both. But the fact is, is that, you know, there's, there's probably only a couple of places, if not just one where he's engaging and chewing on it. Um, so one step one, or one of the things that you want to do to, to try to curb that is that you're, you're putting, you're giving him that in, a, in an environment where he's never had it. Um, and that, that will help build that. And I want you to do that with him first, um, before you're doing anything else is that, you know, break the, the contextual association of him always making that A plus B equals C, which you hear me talk about a lot in the forums and, um, you know, and in some of the online stuff is, is that, you know, your dog's mind works like a calculator, you know, A plus B equals C, uh, antecedent plus behavior equals consequence. Now, in this case, you know, uh, A is that he gets uh, a, a, an antler B is that, you know, one of the other family members approach him and, and he growls and C is that they go away. He gets to keep or continue to guard his resource. Now where, where the, the context comes into play is that, you know, if it's, if it's always in certain environments is that they remember that, you know, just like, um, you know, there's, there's instances where, uh, you know, you may say something or do something that your dog only responds to in, in a certain area or if it's on leash or only if it's off leash or only if it's by a crate or, you know, dogs that guard food bowls versus, you know, a Tupperware container with food in it is that they're making those associations, those simple associations. So you want to get rid of those first. Uh, the other thing to do is, is that, you know, your, your quote unquote alpha status uh, in the relationship is that, you know, therein lies, um, you know, I wouldn't call it a misconception, but, but you have to take it the whole way, right? So if he's only respecting you, is that if, if, you're, if you break that context and, and, and start that process and now in a different context where, um, where he's less likely to do it or, or uh, is going to be less severe in, in how he's guarding that, now that's where you need to get involved in, and correct the behavior, frankly. You know, no different than if, you know, your two kids, if one of them was getting ready to, to smack the other one with a two by four with a nail sticking out of it, like you're not just going to stand there and be like, well, that's going to suck, you know, or, or just be like, oh, hey, knock that off. Like you're going to get involved and say, hey, knock the shit off, you know, and so you've got to communicate to him that, that you are truly running the show uh, and, and you're not allowing him to do any of that uh, with with them, but but set him up for success by breaking the context first. Because if you go into it, you know where he's on that that frozen mental screen of he's always you know next to his crate or in a living room or a basement or in your backyard or wherever he's doing it at, he's already amped up because there's that contextual association. So again, get rid of that first so that it, it's less severe and his mind is in a little more reachable place, and so that you can teach the hey knock it off. Uh, when it's not as bad or, or as severe. So that's how I would handle that. Same thing with food. 
you know, some other ways to, to break that context with the, with the antler uh, or food in this case is, uh, is, is again, you know, giving it to him in other places, but you know, you're taking him for a walk and you let him carry it on a walk or have five of them laying around in a backyard where you're kind of playing, uh, you know, almost like, like outing with a, uh, with a reward toy or a, ten, a tennis ball or what or a Kong or whatever is that you're, you're kind of playing, you know, the shell game almost, but with several different ones. So that that value uh, decreases a little bit, uh, mix it up, uh, in terms of how you're giving it, where, how many, how long, and give him reasons to not be so guardy about it in, in conjunction with changing that context. So, uh, hopefully that helps. And, uh, you tell Mike to send some damn hats. All right. Um, this next one is from Perez John. Thanks for your service, Mike. My dog has really high ball drive, like she'll do anything for that tennis ball. How can I use this as a training tool slash reward? Do I toss it once I get my desired behavior? Also, I'm on month one of Team Dog. Can I use the clicker with the tennis ball, or should it only be associated with treats? Um, fantastic question for two reasons. Number one is that this is a very common would say misconception with a lot of people that it has to be you know x that you have to use food or, or toys or treats or, or one or the other or you know is one better than the other your dog is going to dictate that and and that's you know whether it's whether it's food for certain things toys for other things you know there's examples my dog rico and, and several other if you know if dogs have really really high ball drive then a lot of times i don't use them because they're so overblown in their drive form it's actually distracting um and their 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 mind is is through the roof, uh, like it took off with a spaceship and, uh, and, and they're hard to reach and they, and they won't offer behavior because they're, they're so distracted by, by their overblown prey drive for it. So if that's how this dog is, then, then yes, I would use food. Um, you know, I would use something that has a little lower value so that you can actually shape behavior properly. And their mind is, is more, uh, more reachable at that point. So in terms of, you know, do you throw it then, you know, if you get the desired behavior? Yes. Uh, I will say I typically use, um, you know, reward toys, i.e. balls, tugs, uh, you know, ball on a string, Kong, etc. A little later in the process, I generally like to use food first because there's an ability to reinforce a lot more uh, repetitions in a five minute training session with food. Now, again, that's coupled on the back of making sure that the dog has appropriate drive or enough drive to use either one of them. But if there is, you know, you're, you're just going to get more reps out of food. Now to answer your question in terms of, do I throw the ball once I get the desired behavior, you know, mark and throw the ball? Yes. You know, if, if there's just kind of that, that happy medium, perfect level of drive for you to be able to train, um, you know, and, and get the dog to do what you want, then yeah, click it and throw and throw the ball, make a game out of it, even switch it up, you know, do some sessions with food, some sessions with toys. Um, you know, nothing says you can't do both. Uh, you know, if you're trying to do it as, as quickly as possible, I like to use food again, cause you're going to get more reps, but, but, you know, by all means use the ball and that's how you want to use it uh, is exactly how, how you're anticipating using it. And you'll see it in the next couple of months of, of the training, where, uh, you know, where we start incorporating tugs and balls on strings and, and things like that to get, uh, get some of that engagement. So uh, that's, uh, that's the gist. Um, next question is from Bert underscore Cockley. I uh, can't wait for this. I can get both my dogs to heal inside and in our backyard. Leaving the house and going for a walk is a different matter. Heads down, sniffing, and just want to run. Better treats to, the, to entice them, question mark. More exposure, question mark. Thanks. Uh, again, another good question. This is where I'm going to talk about 
the classroom is that uh, if they'll heal in your backyard uh, and not out in town, um, you know what I recommend for everybody doing is is what you've started doing. But I'm gonna I'm gonna add a component to it. But it is is this training classroom that I talk of speak of is is no different than any. Uh, you know any reason that um, or any classroom that we use on on our own kids is that you know there's a reason you're not teaching algebra at uh, at Disney World you know and that's because it's incredibly distracting they're not going to learn a damn thing so I like to set up what I have as a 40 foot by 40 foot six foot chain link fenced in area with absolutely nothing in it and there's nothing around it uh, now I know that that's not feasible for a lot of people and that's okay that's ideal, um, but nothing says you can't use your garage with you know the cars out of it or as little things in there as possible. You can uh, use your fenced-in backyard, same thing. Remove you know everything or as much as you can so that there's not a bunch of other things that, that distract the dog. Whatever it is, you know, get it as 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 few distractions as possible, and be consistent with it. All of those quote-unquote distractions will become less and less distracting the more training sessions you do because they're going out there, they're training, they're seeing it. As you build focus on you, those are going to become less and less. But you've got to set up, just like I talk about in both the book and the online thing, is repetition is your best friend. Consistency and repetition, which go hand in hand, is that you've got that training classroom set up. You're shaping all this behavior. Um, you're doing lots of repetitions. And so where this you know, kind of dovetails into your question is that you know the reason why they're they're blowing you off is is twofold is number one is you don't have enough repetitions under your belt in your training classroom uh where where it's more reliable to where it's basically a, a reaction it's a muscle memory driven reaction and not a decision on the dog's part because you got so many repetitions the other thing too is you're going from again kindergarten to 12th grade is that you've got to have some intermediate steps in there now the way i like to do it is throw some distractions into your backyard now okay so you've mastered it now do it with you know if you've got kids or friends or other pets or or you can just take random objects that have never been in there and now introduce them into your your training classroom and now there's something for the dog to be distracted of and now the key component with that and and I, there's a couple of videos i have on it which is if, if they pay attention to something else, let them pay attention to something else. When you're in that controlled environment, they're going to learn that they get nothing by checking out a Home Depot bucket that's turned upside down or uh, you know, a bicycle or anything. I mean, pick, pick anything out of your house, grab a couple, a handful of random different big objects and set them out there in different places and then work on your healing routine and keep that eye, eye contact and that focus. And if they break from that, don't punish them. Give them the reason uh, so that when they make the conscious decision to ignore whatever it is that's distracting them and they come back to you, they get rewarded for it. That's where I see most people mess up and, and have problems or, or create problems is that they, you know, they'll say it 30 times, here, 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 heal, heal, you know, when they go out and the dog's blowing them off and they start punishing them. The goal is to get the dog to pay attention to you. You know, if it's distracted by something and you start punishing it, it doesn't want to come back to you. You know, it wants to go what it's stimulated by or just get away from you or, or both, you know, and, and so now you're, you're actually reinforcing exactly what you don't want. Um, so again, you've got to scale it in your backyard, in your training classroom first, introduce those direct, uh, distractions when you have control over them, you can manipulate them and have them be very mild at first. And when they realize, oh, I don't get anything out of this, when I come back to dad and make eye contact, it gets marked and rewarded and reinforced. And, and then that's how you're going to do it. So I go further in depth in some of the videos, but that's really the gist of it. I mean, um, you know, you, you have to scale up in terms of your, your distractions. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. So the next question is uh, in terms of diet. Uh, this one is from Bebo Plobo, uh, and it's any information regarding raw food diet for dogs and aggressive behavior modification in a one- to two-year-old Malinois. Um, I'm going to talk about the, uh, the raw food diet for a minute, the aggression stuff. I've got some other questions that, uh, that I'm going to address, but it really goes back to the first question and that get the dog to, to ignore other dogs and, and focus on you, the same process that we just talked about. But in terms of raw food diet, now here's, here's some things that uh, I cover in, in, you know, again, both the book and the online stuff. But we, we as, as a Western society and, and, and human beings have been duped, frankly. Um, you know, dry dog food um, has not been around that long. And there are some really good brands out there that, that work pretty well. You know, and for most people, that's a good option. Uh, for people that want to kind of kick it up a notch and and you know go full paleo or keto, or you know they've got a you know a professional mentality mindset on what they want to feed their dog, or the dog has cancer and they want to you know starve the cancer and feed as as holistic and raw as possible. You know, this this is uh, you know kind of a good topic for that. But you know, making your own can be tricky. Um, and, and I, I've done it. Um, you know, I've been feeding raw food, uh, and dry food. I mean, I've experimented with about every type of dog food in the last 17, 18 years and come to a couple of conclusions. Number one is that, you know, raw food is for sure healthier, you know, any dry dog food, um, you know, in anything, frankly, that can stay at room temperature for a year uh, in a bag and not go bad is processed, uh, heavily processed. Now, just like with everything, like there are some, uh, you know, dry foods that are way better than others. And there's, you know, there's a, a number of instances. I mean, many of, of our dogs get fed dry food or some dry food. Um, it is very convenient and, and it works fine for a lot of dogs, but it's akin to, you know, you and I living off of beef jerky and canned goods or MREs, you know, so if you think about it from that, that context is that, you know, there are really horrible beef jerkies with tons of nitrates and, and preservatives and MSG and, and crap and I'm same with canned goods and MREs. And then there's some that are, are a lot better. You know, there's some, you know, backpackers pantry or, or dehydrated meals or, or canned goods or frozen or, or whatever that, uh, that have a lot less preservatives and higher quality food. And they're, they're preserved with, you know, celery salt and, uh, you know, things that, that are much more naturally occurring and not nearly as bad for you. So, uh, keep that in mind, you know, there are a number of good dry foods out there. However, uh, any raw food, generally speaking, as long as it's balanced calcium phosphorus wise is going to be better for, for the dog. Now there's a number 
of commercial dog foods out there, uh, raw dog foods that are, you know, manufactured at a pretty large scale, you know, and really what it boils down to is what your dog needs. You know, does your dog need a, a higher fat content because it's, you know, a younger dog that's really active and, and it's in a cold environment and hard to keep weight on? Is it an older dog that has cancer that needs, you know, just super, super clean, really high bio, high quality bio and available ingredients that's going to help that dog, you know, reduce inflammation and not feed cancer through, you know, sugar and refined carbohydrates and, and inflammation and things of that nature. You know, so you, you kind of have to, you know, uh, work your way backwards, if you will, in terms of, um, you know, knowing what it is that you're trying to accomplish by feeding raw uh, and, and what goals you have by feeding it with your dog and then figure out, you know, the, the applicable blend from that. Um, and uh, and that's that's really the, the kind of the key component is is you have to know why you're doing it first and then kind of work backwards from there. But, you know, there again, there's a number of companies out there I, I – um, will refrain from endorsing any of them on on this uh, platform. I do in my, uh, you know, in the online stuff. But um, but we'll we'll get to that, uh, you know, a few episodes down the road probably, and, and get a little more and more in depth with it. But uh, you know, for sure, it's it's you know the best way to be, you know, from a health standpoint. Like you're just going to get more out of your dog that way. You know, their stool is cleaner and and less in volume they drink less water um and again that really the, the biggest thing to to keep in mind is making sure that the the phosphorus and calcium ratio is is legit you know everything else it's going to depend on again the activity level and, and metabolism and, and workability and, and what you're what kind of constraints physical constraints you're putting on the dog but the one thing that's constant with all of them is that you know you have to have 1.2 to 1.0 or so calcium to phosphorus just a little more calcium than phosphorus from an alkaline standpoint is that if you if you know like a lot of people just feed their dog lots of meat scraps with no bone no ash cartilage nothing there's no calcium so it's really high phosphorus and low calcium that's going to create a very acidic bloodstream which is going to lead to inflammation and a lot of other problems a lot of times people are like oh, i'm feeding my dog raw meat well, if they're not getting bone and, and tissue and, and cartilage and organs and uh, you know minerals and trace minerals and, and uh, some fibrous bulk from from ash or other calcium sources type type thing, then you're actually doing more harm than good, and you'd be better off feeding dry food. And that's why a lot of people do it is that it's it's mindless. You know, it's all complete and it's fortified and chelated minerals and things like that that uh, that just kind of take a lot of the guesswork out of it. So if you're going to do raw by yourself, do a lot of research. Uh, and make sure you're doing it right. If you're going to buy one, same thing. Research the different companies and and make sure that uh, that everything's checking out in terms of what you're looking for. But all right, this next question is from Tamron uh, What reward do you use if the dogs are not food or toy slash ball driven? Uh, great question, and it's one that I come into contact a lot where people say, "Well, my dog, you know, he can bounce a ball off of his nose; he doesn't care." Um, I, I hand him treats, food, whatever. He just turns his nose up at it. Here's here's the thing with that is that um, my guess is that the dog is probably a little heavier than he needs to be. Uh, all dogs will have food drive at some point. Now, that's not me condoning or saying starve your dog to the point of emaciation. No, absolutely not. And and temperate for all of all of the uh, the folks out there that uh, anthropomorphize and think dogs are people and, and that they need you know three meals a day and 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 all of that. It's it's crap. Um, just like with people, um, most dogs are fat asses, and that's that's the reality of it. Um, most dogs are, I'd say, um, 
20, 15 to 20% overweight. Um, from my opinion and stance, experience, et cetera, is it no different than you look at any professional athletes, look at gymnasts, collegiate wrestlers, MMA athletes, um, you know, whatever. People, you know, Olympic athletes, people that are kind of at the pinnacle, except curlers. I'm not picking on you guys, but seriously, um, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Any, uh, we'll call it a traditional, you know, sport where, you know, athletic prowess and ability is is uh, what separates people that win from everybody else. Um, you know, look at how they're built. They're lean. They're very lean, most of them. You know, it's not uncommon to see the outlines of their hip bones and a little bit of, uh, you know, a faint outline of their rib. Uh, very vascular, and those people are considered in phenomenal shape. Whether it's you know uh, high-level triathletes or or uh, you know decathlon competitors, or or again any of the the aforementioned um, sports that I already talked about, is that you know they're lean and in great in great shape, and and you can see a lot of them. You know, uh, dogs are no different. You know, we have become accustomed to seeing these fat-ass dogs you know, that, that, uh, are way overweight and, and we're feeding them to death, you know? And it's like, I, I see it all the time. These, these dogs that are way heavier than they need to be, uh, you know, before you even do any training that you should be taking 10 or 15 pounds off of a lab that's, you know, 85 pounds and should weigh 60. Uh, and that I see it everywhere. You know, all these dogs are way heavier than they need to be. And that's half the problem. One, it's unhealthy Two, it's hard on their joints. And, and three, and, and most importantly, from a training standpoint is that they don't care about food. If they don't care about food, you're going to have a hard time training them. You know, drop some pounds on them um, and, uh, and get them to where you're engaging that way. Now, one thing that you can also do is, is even if, if, if you've got a dog that doesn't have that high a food drive and they're in, in pretty good shape and, and they're at what I would consider an ideal weight, which is a bit of a tuck in their stomach. You know, if you look at them from the side, their rib cage should taper up into their stomach. Uh, it's not bad to see a, a faint outline of their rib cage. You should be able to feel their hips very easily, but not see them uh, in most dogs. There are some dogs skeletally that, that are built a certain way where you may even see a little outline of, of a hip. And again, depending on the dog, that's probably all right. Um, you know, if you can see every single rib and the entire outline of their entire rib cage, like it's, you know, just uh, sinew covering it, then they're, then they're too lean. Uh, but most dogs could be a lot leaner than they are, and, and that's going to be conducive and, and, and lend itself to training. So if you have a dog that's already at a pretty ideal weight, uh, take the food and, and use the food to train them with. You know, and, and if they don't want to eat it, well, we'll try it tomorrow. You know, and if they don't want to do that, well, we'll try it at night. You know, they don't want to do that, we'll try it the next morning. Within reason, you know, with, as with everything, you, you are, are your dog's best advocate, and you've got to use some common sense. You know, don't starve your dog and, and you know, uh, end up, you know, to where it's emaciated and say, well, Mike told me not to feed him until he'd start taking it. No, you know, nice try, but have some personal responsibility and, and, and use a little bit of common sense when it comes to that. Now, if your dog is a total fat ass, you may need to not feed him for several days, and, and that's okay. Just like most people, if they're way overweight, they, they could fast for weeks and it wouldn't kill them, you know, uh, with a lot of time and a lot of people, uh, it would actually be good for them to give their GI tract and digestive system a break and dogs are no different. Uh, you know, so lean, lean your dog out and, and increase that chance. The dog that we rescued from the shelter and, and uh, turned into a, you know, a, a therapy dog as an example, he was that way when he first got here, he was heavier than he needed to be. He was being fed a little less than desirable dry food and, 
And within about two weeks, he was nice and leaned out and was super motivated for food. Healthy lean, not not emaciated, just good athletic year-old dog or so, lean, healthy, happy, vibrant pup that, that now is super driven for food, and I'm shaping all sorts of crazy stuff with him uh, because I just started feeding him from my hands during training sessions. So, you know, give him a day off, give him a night off, see how it goes. You know, all of them are going to be a little different depending on how old they are, what their metabolism and et cetera. But, uh, but you know, that's, that's what's going to do it. So if your dog doesn't have food drive, use that uh, as, as kind of a, 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 an augment uh, and, and train through food um, and, and give that a shot. But again, um, just to reiterate is, is to be, um, you know, be smart about it. Use a little bit of common sense. Next question is from Jess DeWitt, and this is, what is your advice to someone who wants to enter the world of dog training as a part-time or full-time career? Where would you start? I got a number of questions. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because it's not really training, but I've had a lot of people ask. Just very simply is that, you know, volunteer, you know, go to dog shelters. You know, the biggest thing you want to learn is, is dog behavior, how to read dogs, different behavioral quirks, and get lots of experience, lots of repetitions with a lot of different dogs, different ages, different breeds, different environments, you know, with different stimuli present, et cetera. Uh, that, that is your first thing. From there, then that should determine where you want to go. You know, when you say the dog world, what does that mean? Does that mean working at a shelter or does that mean, you know, being a police canine trainer, uh, you know, a search and rescue handler? I mean, what, there's a lot of different, you know, avenues within that. So get some experience first, kind of like an undergrad you know, and, and to me, get your undergrad at, uh, at shelters. They need the help anyway, and you need the experience. Uh, it's good for the dogs. You can work on shaving behaviors and reading behavior and getting to know lots of dogs that way. From there, determine where you want to go and then knock the doors down and volunteer and, and don't take no for an answer, you know, uh, over and over and over if that's what you want to do. If, if it's military or police, try to become a cop and be a canine handler. If it's military, join the military and be an MP or an MA and and, and get into the dog handling programs, but, uh, you know, you have to do it. So, uh, that's all I'll say on that. Uh, it's pretty, pretty straightforward, but, you know, start with, with shelters and rescue organizations. All right. So this next question is from LRT Blake off leash obedience. And is it reasonable from a safety standpoint? Um, the only way that I can say it's, it's, um, reasonable or, or I would say a hundred percent reliable is if you don't have a dog and that's off leash or on leash, frankly, that's the only way you're going to have a dog that doesn't get away or bite somebody or become a pain in your ass is by not having one. Now, um, in terms of off leash, uh, versus on leash, you know, the, the key with that, just like with everything else that we've talked about is repetition and consistency. That's setting your classroom up and, and scaling your distractions, you know, we're getting those repetitions where the dog is making, the choice at first to do things and then it gets to where you've done it so many times where now it becomes a uh, a response or a reaction to a command or to a context or to a stimulus so it's absolutely reasonable uh, i do it all the time I mean, there's videos on just even on on instagram where you where you posted this question to if you scroll down a little ways of of me walking through a busy walmart and a lowe's with a dog off leash doesn't even have a collar on him and so, yeah, it's absolutely attainable and it's reasonable. Um, you know, even having a dog on a leash isn't a hundred percent guarantee that, uh, that things aren't going to go wrong. Collars break, uh, leashes break, the bull snaps break, uh, you know, your it, leashes slip out of people's hands uh, and the dogs knock people over. I mean, there's a, there's 
plenty of instances where you know even on leash a dog gets loose or, or whatever so um you know the the really the, the the most important concept that you have to remember is just like i said is that you're teaching that dog what you want at home first and scaling up the challenge the criteria the distractions uh, etc and uh, again it sounds like a broken record to a certain extent because it is because the same uh, same principles apply in pretty much everything Next question is from uh, TWT Bulls. To what extent do you allow puppies to play fight? And that's wrestling, biting each other, etc. Should I let them play fight a lot as long as it's supervised and doesn't get out of control? Or is that rough play setting them up for bad habits? Uh, I'm really glad you asked this question. It's a great one. One that I get pretty frequently. Uh, I am a huge proponent and advocate of not letting dogs interact with each other uh, other than very, very civilly. Um, I don't like dogs to, to play rough or screw with each other or nip and growl and wrestle and, and whatever for two reasons. Number one is that, yes, uh, I think it sets them up. Uh, it sets a, a precedence for them to be allowed to do that, uh, number one. Number two is that now they are being satiated and mentally and physically um, engaged with somebody other than you, um, and and that is not good. Um, you know, I, I want them, and, and you should want your dog to want to focus and engage with you, not other dogs. By doing that, not only do you potentially set yourself up for failure in terms of with that other dog, but also other dogs out in public. I see that a lot when people have dogs they go by dog parks or they go to dog parks a lot which watch one of my videos on uh on, i there's a rant on instagram and facebook where i talk about dog parks and how they're the ipads to kids of, of you know they're, they're to to dogs what the ipads are to kids nowadays and that they're babysitters you know you, you can't do that um and and you're you're going to set that dog up to desire and solicit of affection attention engagement and play and all of these things from other animals you should want them to do that on you and, and, and you've got to curb that or they're not going to, you know, if, if they have hours a day playing with other dogs, like that's their, that's going to be their currency. That's what they, they know. That's what they're doing the most of. And so that's going to bite you in the ass. Um, and then also from a, from a safety standpoint is that when you see dogs quote unquote, get into it, it's, it's always that it's, well, you know, they were playing and everything was fine. And then it got serious and it got out of control before I could get in the middle of it. And then I got bit and the dogs got, you know, lost an eye. That won't happen. If you, if you say, Hey, cut the shit, you're not playing with each other, knock it off. You know, whether it's creating one and putting the other and giving the other one uh, free time at first and, and swapping them out. And then you put them in downstays and you get in between them and do some be the man stuff and have them, you park it over here, you park it over there. It helps with impulse control. It helps with you maintaining that status and relationship as being the being the man, being the one running the show, and it keeps them them mentally focused uh, on you and and distracted from being focused on one another. Uh, so yes, I would I would not let them play. Um, you know, separate them and and play with them yourself and, and get that engagement. It'll it'll help you out a lot. This next question is from Tyler Coker, 91, and he asks, how to get your dog to stop barking at everything? Uh, everything. I mean, does the dog really bark at everything? God, I hope not. But uh, it's actually really simple, is that where I see people fail is that uh, they've not taught their dog to shut up. You know, if the dog doesn't understand what but be quiet and shut up means like you and I do because of the English language and, and our ability to, to learn it through experiences as children growing up. 
uh, he has no idea what shut up means. You know, if he's barking and you yell at him, that probably doesn't mean anything to him. He may think you're barking also. Uh, and so, you know, keep that in mind is that, you know, you've got to teach him to shut up or turn it off. And you're going to teach that no different than you teach anything else is, is ask yourself, what is the desired behavior? Shutting up. Okay, so now we're going we're gonna to be able to communicate to him when he does that, he gets rewarded for it. How do we do that? Set him up for failure uh, or put him in an environment where you know he's going to bark. And, and I've got a couple of videos, again, on, on the online stuff. I know it sounds like a shameless plug, but it really it's easier to just watch it um, to, to get the visual representation um, than it is for me to explain it. But, uh, but it should be pretty easy to follow And that, you know, I'll stand there with a ball if I know the dog wants a ball or, you know, somebody coming at the, um, at the door or, or whatever it is that, that, uh, that they bark at. And I would recommend just, you know, in keeping in tradition and being consistent with the other principles is pick something that he's not barking as intently on so that his mind is a little more reachable and it doesn't go on for as long before he shuts up on his own. Uh, so a milder stimulus in terms of, of what's soliciting that behavior. But the gist of it is you stand there and ignore him. Uh, and this, again, is dovetailing on you've got a good relationship. You've already shaped certain behaviors. So he understands what the clicker is. He understands, you know, reinforcement training. And from there, you're going to wait. And it may take 10 seconds. It may take 30 seconds. It may take five minutes. Uh, it doesn't matter how long it takes. You're going to stand there and completely ignore him. You're going to have to put your patience hat on. And sometimes it sucks and it's irritating and it's hard to do. Uh, but stand there and let him bark like a total jackass until he stops. And the second he stops, you mark it and reward it. And you do that over and over and over until it, it gets taught or trained and reinforced just like sitting, downing, healing, staying, place command, load up, uh, focus, guard, watch, whatever, you know, any behavior, you're teaching it the exact same way. The only difference is, is this is the absence of something, you know, but it still is a behavior. It's being quiet, you know, so he's barking. I want him to stop barking when he makes that conscious decision. And there's a reason you see a, a theme here in terms of what, what you want is the dog to decide. That is, it, that is the backbone of operant conditioning is that the dog's behavior is what determines the consequence. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what you're not doing. What matters is what the dog is doing. And when they understand that, oh, hey, when I shut up, good things happen. I'm going to start shutting up. Once you get to that point, then couple it with a command, just like you would sit down, whatever. And you can, it can be quiet. It can be, you know, it can be whatever you want. Uh, you know, but pick something, stick with it, teach that command of that shutting up. And then now you can do both. You can teach him to turn it on. You can teach him to turn it off. I do like doing that so that the dog, if it's a natural, really oral, you know, barky type of dog that likes to do that is that you're giving him an outlet. You're not just capping that drive all of the time. Give him an outlet to do that, but teach him when it's okay to bark. Somebody came to the door, bark, bark your ass off at him, get you some. Uh, but when I tell you to shut up, you shut up and then I'm going to reward you for it. And then I'm going to let you bark again. And then I'm going to tell you to shut up. And then that in and of itself, that mental game uh, of them having to focus on something is going to help you out. Um, and then they, they start to understand when it's okay, when it's not, and, and you can teach it that way. All right, this next question is from Ronald He Gielk. Uh, I hope I said that right. Uh, this is a long one, so bear with me. I picked up a German Shepherd from a guy training dogs for police and military. I didn't do my due diligence before taking him home, shame on me, and found out quickly he hadn't been honest about the reasons he was getting rid of him. He had an enzyme deficiency, and because of that, I believe he had been thrown in a kennel for several months and not worked any further. 
He hasn't been socialized at all. He won't even sniff and goes straight to a bite. I believe it's due to lack of confidence and want to help. This is strictly dog aggression. He loves people. We have now developed a strong bond and he trusts me. My question is rather or not to utilize a muzzle to assist in safe introductions with other dogs. Um, so here's there's two things with this, with muzzles, is that uh, I like muzzles for reasons such as that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily start out by doing it. Um, you know, to me, just like, you know, several other problems, and there's a reason why I'm answering some of these same questions almost the exact same way. Uh, and, and fielding them all is because I want everybody listening right now to understand that this process, it, it's applicable across the board. I mean, it applies to everything. You know, you, you go through this same process to address every single problem. And, and my goal, you know, isn't just, you know, to sit here and answer questions and, and get people to, uh, you know, to, to have these, uh, you know, relationships with their dogs where they're fixing singular problems. You know, it, really, my goal is is to put myself out of a job. In essence, uh, between you know the 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 launching the the empty the shelter campaign and um, you know and the team dog training revolution and things like that. You know, my my goal is for everybody to understand all of these principles where where you can say, I know how I would fix this problem, and that's what I see with you know whether it's uh, you know other other training detachments um, or or companies or. TV personalities, what have you, is that, you know, a lot of times they're, we're addressing symptoms and not, not the problem, you know, and, and to me, this process really addresses the problem is that, you know, relationship first, then you're going to shape and reinforce, and then you're going to extinguish, you know, and it's really that simple is that, you know, every one of these problems is tackled essentially the same way. It's just, you've got to practice. And if you practice with one dog and put that five, six months in early on and, and take them through that process and then start to do other stuff, it, it works with everything. I mean, you'll start helping your friends with their dogs, you'll, you know, your, your family, your parent, you know, you get new dogs, new problems. I mean, it, it, it's, it's uh, applicable to everything. And so when I see, you know, most of these questions is, is that that's, that's the answer is that, you know, you, you have to, you have to go about it in the same process. And so with here, you know, you're saying essentially that, that the dog, you know, won't even sniff another dog, goes straight in for the bite. So, you know, what I want you to teach your dog to do is to focus on you and to ignore the other dogs. And you're going to do that the exact same way that I already said you're going to do it is that, you know, you go and you're, you set up your classroom in your backyard or your, your garage, wherever, and you teach that dog to focus on you no matter what is happening. You know, and, and it doesn't matter. I don't care if there's a car crash. I don't care if there's another dog snarling at him. Is that, you know, through repetition and reinforcement, you've done it so many times to where that dog is just locked like a heat-sinking missile on your eyes. And no matter what's going on, you put him in a heel and you can walk through the gates of hell. And he's not staring at Satan. He's looking at you like, hey, what's going on? You know, that that's that's it, you know. And so, you know, there's no reason to sit there and, okay, get him all, all pissed off at another dog and then correct him. All you're going to do is exacerbate that. Teach him to ignore it, you know, through repetition and reinforcement. Uh, and, and you're just going to condition it out of him. So in terms of using a muzzle to interact with another dog, you know, to me that that's, you know, uh, you're not really addressing the right problem is that, you know, he, he doesn't need to interact with another dog. What he needs to do is focus on you. If there's another dog present, he needs to act like that dog doesn't exist and you need to teach him how to do that. Um, you know, so many times I see people like, well, I want my, you know, they tell their dogs, go say hi, you know, go be nice. Like, no, stop it. 
there, there's no reason to do that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just like with kids, like, you know, I'm not, you, when you walk through the mall, do you tell your, your child, hey, go say hi to that stranger, go climb in his lap and, and sniff his ass? No. Like, why do you do that with your dog? Well, he's a dog and he should like other dogs. Well, okay, well, it's a kid. He should like other human beings. Well, not necessarily. You know, and, and especially if it's a dog that naturally doesn't really like other animals, stop, stop shoving the, the round peg in the square hole and just teach him to ignore them. Uh, you know, because that, that's really what you need to do. If you want a well-mannered, well-behaved dog that's not going to get into a fight with another dog or nip at a kid, depending on what the kid does, if he's being a little dumbass about it, is that teach him to ignore everything and focus on you, you know, and, and that's, you're going to see this recurring theme, you know, over and over and over. So, you know, again, teach, teach him to do that. And, uh, and I don't think you'll have any problems. All right, this next question is from my man, John Rambo, 1775. Um, love the handle. When recalling the dog, they don't listen right away. When they finally do come, it doesn't seem appropriate to reprimand after completing a command. How should this be dealt with? John, I got to tell you, I'm so damn glad you asked this question because I see this a lot. Is that dog bolts out of the door, or runs away from you. You scream bloody murder for the dog to come back 19 times. The dog finally comes trotting back all hey what's up boss and and then they get their ass handed to them you know whether it's through verbal reprimand or or a prong collar or remote collar or just scolded yelled at you know poked with a finger whatever it is a bunch of a, a bunch of essentially positive punishment that, that you're enacting on this dog making him coming back to you a really shitty experience and i want you to think about that from the dog's perspective uh for a second is that you know you're rationalizing everything that just happened and, and he took off and he blew me off and I was calling him whatever the, the dog doesn't you know the dog is is making the association I come running back to my owner and I get get corrected or or, or you know dealt with uh, severely for it uh, whatever that reprimand may mean is that uh, you know socially it's negative you know not negative from an operant conditioning standpoint you know, but it's a, it's a bad experience, a, a really negative association in terms of how that dog's gonna gonna view that. Now you're pissed off, but you know it's it's akin to you know grabbing a dog's face and rubbing it in a in a pile of urine or whatever. Is that they they don't get that, you know? Um, and so what you're looking for, and again, you know, there's a, an element of broken recordness here, but is that you know what do you want? You want the dog to come back. So when he does reward that, if it wasn't as fast as you'd like, okay work on it, you know, get it faster, go in your classroom and work on recalls the same way we're going to do with anything else is that, you know, you're in your classroom, um, you know, and, and you call his name, you give him the, the hear command. It's shaped at first the exact same way that I do it. You know, day one is walking around a field, you know, when the dog comes over to you, you mark and reward it. That in and of itself, you know, reinforces and teaches the dog to mind or stay close or come check in with you regularly. You do that to where now the dog won't leave you alone and you let him sniff something else, uh, you know, call his name, he comes running over to you, mark and reward it, start coupling it with a recall, a hear, a come, whatever command you want to use, uh, and then and then you're just doing that. But, you know, you're going to scale it up again with distractions and everything else and, and slowly stair-step, baby-step your way out into, into the real world and get to where it's more and more distracting and, and doing short recalls and then building on distance and building on distraction and all that. And I outline all this, you know, again, in a, in a series of several different videos, but um, but 
you know, you have to put yourself in that dog's shoes, you know, and, and so many times I see people, they get pissed at their dog and they correct them and reprimand them when they've just done exactly what they wanted. They just didn't do it fast enough or, or the criteria wasn't met uh, either quick enough or there was, you know, something in between or whatever. But again, your dog is a simple association animal. Remember that. It's remembering the, the thing that's happening with, you know, the, the, whatever's preceding the consequence, whether that consequence is good or bad, is that that association is being made with everything. Uh, loading up into a vehicle or walking on a leash or, I mean, any of the things that we're talking about is that that, that is the deal. So, uh, no, do not reprimand him. Uh, reward it. Even if you're pissed, the fact is, is that he came back to you and, and, and he, he needs to be rewarded for that. If you punish him severely, uh, you're, you're taking 30 steps back. Uh, no matter how mad you are, you've got to put your ego uh, in check and, and shove it in your back pocket, uh, you know, and reward the dog for coming back. And then that tells you, Hey, I, I need to work on, on scaling it, uh, from, from the classroom out into, into the real world. All right, this uh, next question is from BirdArt12, and uh, it says, Please, for the love of all that is canine, talk about the importance of researching dog breeds and their temperaments before getting a dog. Yes, Border Collies are cute and smart, but they also need to keep busy. If you leave one locked in a house alone all day while you're at work, it will find things to do, like herding your furniture into the center of the living room. True story. Too many people get the dog breed that they're attracted to, but not the one that is suited to their lifestyle. Then the dog becomes a problem and ends up in a rescue shelter. Uh, Bird Art 12, uh, I could not agree more, uh, and I'm glad that you brought this up, but I'm actually going to add something to your uh, request, which is that that is only half of it. Uh, And this is one of the most common questions that I get is, what breed is right for me? Um, and to me, you know, I, I look at, I, I try to make a lot of analogies if you guys haven't figured that out. I look at, at a lot of things like coins, like there's, you know, two sides to every coin, uh, or, you know, if there's two, two elements to whatever problem you're talking about, you know, on, on one side of the coin, you've got the breed. Uh, and yes, you know, certain breeds exhibit certain traits and characteristics that are largely consistent with the breed, but not uh, always, you know, um, just because a Malinois is a Malinois doesn't mean he's going to be a crazy ball driven ass eater that that's going to make a great police dog. Just because a French bulldog is a French bulldog doesn't mean he's going to be, you know, a mildly stubborn, lazy, cute, cuddly dog that looks like a cartoon character and, and acts as such. Um, and that's with every breed is that, you know, breeds are a very good starting point right for for the the different characteristics you're looking at looking at and, and i do i talk about that a lot in my book uh is is kind of how to go about looking at it and, and size and activity level and, and strength and and you know working characteristics that have been bred into these dogs play a huge role no doubt about it however is that you know with the i would say piss poor breeding practices that have taken place in the last 50 or so years as technology has increased and, and our need for using working dogs in, in all of these traits that, that if you look at, say, the AKC book of dogs from like 1927, I think that I, I have, and you look at, you know, kind of the breed characteristics, they are vastly different. And they even look very different from what you see today. And that's because they're not being bred for those intended working purposes. And that has a, a doubly negative effect is that number one, is that you've got you know some of these manifestations of these working traits 
that are being either overblown or, or funneled genetically in a manner in which is, is not productive and, and people don't know because they're not testing it. Uh, you know, if, if you're breeding, you know, retrievers and, and it's been, you know, 15 generations since any of the dogs in your dog's pedigree have, have uh, flushed, uh, you know, quail out of, out of some brush, you know, then, then there's a bunch of question marks there and you have no idea. And, and with a lot of the breeds uh, today, it's a paint job in a lot of ways, you know. And so, yes, for, for absolute certain, I agree, uh, do your research and make sure that first and foremost, that if that breed uh, maintains the consistency in which it was originally bred for and, and a lot of those working traits are still there in some degree, then you need to know what you're getting into. The other side of that coin is the individual's that you're looking at specifically. So it's the parents, it's the, the siblings of the parents. You know, you, you've got to, you know, do your due diligence when you go look at those dogs and, and understand what do the parents look like, you know? And, and one of the things that I, I delve a lot deeper into in, in the book is, um, and the online stuff, frankly, is, is kind of that process of how I go about it. I'll, I'll summarize it fairly quickly is that, you know, I, I like to remove the puppies and the parents from where they're comfortable, i.e. where they were whelped. Uh, I like to remove them from their mom. I like to remove them from their litter and like to really look at them uh, in an area where I know they're not comfortable with. They don't have anybody to draw any strength from. They don't have their parents uh, or their mom or their or their siblings. You know, a, a puppy with seven litter mates and its mom in a, in a backyard that it's spent its entire life in is going to look vastly different than it will if you take that little little bastard to Home Depot by himself uh, and put him up on a you know on a on a roll of of a chain link fence and see what happens you know and so things like that uh, where you're taking them out of their element and really looking at them looking at the parents let me see what the parent does at Home Depot is it a nerve bag where it's scared of its own shadow and 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 uh, you know cat clawing and and you know cat on the hot tin roof with with no fiddle. Uh, going going on the the slippery floor is you know super defensive towards people things like that. Chances are, some of that's going to manifest in the puppies, or or you know that that there's at least a a fifty percent chance uh, or better that that that's going to be present in uh, in those puppies. So uh, you've got to look at, at the the individuals themselves, and also realize. Uh, just like I was saying at, at the beginning, is that just because a certain breed says it's this doesn't mean it's going to do it. Just because a breed says that they generally aren't something doesn't mean that that's not going to be there. Uh, again, the the starting point, do your breed research, but you know, really take a look at those puppies or or if it's a shelter dog, you know, all you have to go off of is what you have. Research the breed and then take that dog out into town and and I. Uh, I do that with Chance on, on video in the, in the second course of the online stuff where I show kind of what I like to do with them at, uh, at shelters and, and walking them through that kind of testing and evaluation phase to, to get at the root of what they really look like uh, within reason or as best you can if you don't have any siblings or, or any uh, lineage in terms of parents to draw from. So um, just a couple of tips. I'm glad you asked the question. It's a great one uh, and one that I think a lot of times people look at, oh, it's a striped 60-pound, you know, beefy, tough-looking dog. Like, that's what I want. Agreed. Like, do your breed research and then also evaluate the dog properly to make sure that it's going to be a good fit for you, your family dynamic, your lifestyle, uh, etc. Um, all right. Last question um, is TG Lynn underscore actual. Got a French bulldog that tries to attack animals on the TV and he's very difficult to redirect. 
gets completely fixated. Any tips on getting him to A, disengage, and B, train it out of him? I know that you probably don't find this funny, but I'm just going to be frank is that I laughed my ass off when uh, <laughs> when I read this. And I, again, I don't mean to trivialize it. I'm sure it's a pain, but I just thought it was funny that uh, you got a little Frenchie that's uh, getting buck wild on the TV. That's pretty awesome. But um, so, you know, here I, I would, from a training standpoint is, uh, you know, the very difficult to redirect is that just like with, you know, some of the other things that we were talking about, you know, it's, it's a scaling uh, measure is that, you know, right now I, I would ask, do you have the ability to redirect him when there's something that has his attention, but not nearly as much, you know, and, and if, if you can do that, then I would do a lot of that, you know, take him into the backyard or, or wherever. I mean, if you can, you, if you can set up your training classroom, fantastic, do it there, have, have mildly stimulating distractions where he's kind of focused on where if, you know, if you've built that, that muscle memory and conditioned him for for here you know a recall or a focus or a heel attention heel whatever is practice that on milder distractions and then slowly build your way up once you get back to that environment now again that's going to start to take over and, and some of it is context try doing it in a different room take him to you know your parents house or a friend's house and have him do it there where there's a bunch of other things that are kind of clicking that refresh button uh, button on his mental screen to where it's not so locked into where he has 200 repetitions of doing it on that couch or in that that living room with that TV in that same house you're, you're breaking that context up a little bit and so you know those two things I think are going to be your best friend uh, tons of repetition where you can you can get him to not pay attention to things that aren't uh, quite as distracting and stimulating as this particular issue and once you have that wired down now take him into that same environment uh, in terms of it's a TV with other animals, but do it somewhere else so that there's some uh, some disengagement uh, in terms of the context that he's so hardwired or ingrained to. So, um, And then give him a treat because God bless, right? Anyway, um, all right, so that's all the questions I'm going to take. Um, there were a ton of them. Uh, some of them apply uh, kind of across the board. Some of them I didn't get to. If I did not read your question or get to it, have no fear. We're going to do these pretty regularly. Um, one thing that, uh, that I want you to keep in mind is, is two main things is one, as you can see that that process that exists, um, you know, is pretty consistent no matter what the problem is. I, I generally attack it the exact same way. Um, and you know, my, again, my goal is, is, you know, whether you, if, if you're asking my recommendation, I always recommend read the book first, uh, and that acts as and serves as a good reference and a good starting point where you can read, you can take notes, you can you know tab, highlight, whatever, and come back to that, and then sign up for the online training and and do it. Uh, you know, it's it's seven bucks a month. It's eighty four dollars for for one year for the first course. So, you know, that's a, a Starbucks a month, and and I I did it that way because I want I want people to. Uh, to really understand these concepts, see it, and, and actually be able to apply it to where they can do it. You know, from from kind of a uh, philanthropy standpoint, is that um, you know when I see 3.3 million dogs every year being surrendered to shelters and and over 800,000 of them being euthanized, um, and then you know when I I travel all over and I go to a lot of different shelters and I see these dogs and and overwhelmingly. Um, overwhelmingly, you know, 90 plus percent of these dogs have behavioral issues and, and some quirkiness that have been inadvertently created by their owners. 
and now they're being dropped off and, and hundreds of thousands of them, 12 a day nationwide, 12 dogs a day getting, getting put to sleep, many of whom uh, are just happy, young, healthy dogs that have a couple little behavioral quirks that people are, are just too lazy or, or can't deal with, don't want to deal with. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's a shame. It's a damn Greek tragedy in my book. And so my you know free uh, or empty the shelter campaign in conjunction with the online training packages is to is to get rid of that is that you know i'm not opposed and, and i encourage people to help their their local shelters and, and support uh, rescue organizations they do phenomenal work and, and i i do as well uh, i support them and and, uh, and donate um, but that's only half of it. we talk about the coins that's that's one side of the coin the other side of the coin that largely gets ignored or just underrealized is the fact that there are so many issues that are created by us as as the humans um and and if we step into the dog shoes and, and go through a process such as this and and kind of revolutionize the way we train dogs and communicate with them um you know it's my goal is, is to is to not have so many damn dogs getting put to sleep and, and surrender to shelters when when most of it um, you know, is, is just flat out unnecessary. So I hope this was productive. Uh, again, uh, we'll be doing these episodes fairly regularly and, and kind of supplemental to in between, uh, some of the mic drop, um, you know, regular guests where we come on and, and have interesting debate and conversations. Um, but this is what I do for a living and, uh, I love helping you guys out. I want to take one quick second to, show my gratitude for everybody before we wrap this up is that you know this journey into the podcast was one that uh, i had really no idea what to expect and uh, i cannot tell you uh, how incredibly and unbelievably flattered and blown away i have been by the amount of support that all of you have given me i, I was not expecting it uh frankly for it to 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 launch this way and and i'm i'm flattered and, and delighted that it has but ultimately, it's it's a hundred percent because of you guys. Uh, I'm I just work here, you know. I run my mouth for a living, and uh, and I'm, I'm I feel very fortunate, and I am um, extremely flattered to be in a position where where that many people give a shit what I have to say. So, uh, thank you to everybody. Uh, I look forward to, to bringing you bringing you the heat in true mic drop style, and. Uh, it's been fun. We'll see you next time. And uh, as always, this is the Mic Drop. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.